Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort, host and producer of the show, and welcome to 2024, a brand new year for our podcast. We're excited to kick off this year with an interview with a political leader, which we don't often do, but we do from now and then. Uh, This was a special one. We recorded it at the Impact Conference in Phoenix, Arizona, for a congressman from from Portland, Oregon. And it's Congressman Earl Blumenauer. You've probably heard about him. He's been famous in the public transit industry because of the work he's done. He's had over 50 years working in government. And uh, he is the founder of the Livable Communities Task Force, the Congressional Bike Caucus. He's been one of Congress's chief spokespeople for livable communities. And he helped lead the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which, as you know, has helped pump billions of dollars into public transit. He recently announced he would not seek re-election to Congress in 2024. And I sat down with him and talked to him heart to heart about uh, reflecting on his career in Congress many years, what he's most proud of in his career, uh, where he thinks we're at right now in the transit industry, and where he thinks we're going. Uh, Great to hear from one of our nation's big political leaders when it comes to public transportation, Congressman Earl Blumenauer. Sit back and enjoy our first interview of 2024. So, Congressman Earl Blumenauer, thank you for uh, being with us on Transit Unplugged. My pleasure. Yeah. So, we're here in Phoenix for a public transit conference called IMPACT. And what are you talking about while we're here? Well, I'm in a series of panels. We're talking a little bit. We're about to go off to a streetcar summit uh, with uh, systems around the country, uh, including one here in Tempe. Uh, I was able to start the first modern streetcar in Portland when I was commissioner of public works. uh, And I've been uh, a fanatic about it ever since. We're excited 22 streetcar systems around the country, helping revitalize neighborhoods and taking us back to the future with proven technology. I love it. Yeah, I love streetcars too. We're going to go see it while we're here. And uh, I think we're going to meet the mayor of Tempe while we're here as well. He's going to talk about what's going on out there. So why don't we... uh, Take a step back into your past. You've been a public servant for many, many decades, uh, and uh, you've just announced that you're retiring from Congress, right? Right. Yeah. So I guess, first off, let me ask you, before we go back, why are you retiring? Well, it has, it has been 50 years in elective office. Wow. Uh, 54 years in almost nonstop politicking. I started when I was a junior in college. Um, I have no regrets. It's been fun. I'm pleased with things we're able to be a part of. But given the current environment, it's not clear to me, actually it is clear to me, that the best way for me to spend time and energy is not being engaged in uh, fighting politically for two more years in Congress with the travel, the politics, the fundraising, all that nonsense. Yeah. Um, and, and frankly, the things that I'm most interested in, uh, it doesn't appear as though they're going to be accomplished best as a member of Congress. Okay. So much of this is there are people out there that we can work with in terms of transit and housing and development. Being able to work with people directly on the bicycle revolution. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Is is a more direct way of doing it rather than being bogged down with politics in a toxic Congress. Yeah, I, I understand. That's a long time to be to be involved. Uh, take us back to the beginning and walk us through over a couple minutes about your career. Well, I, I mentioned I started when I was in college. Uh, in, I led a campaign in Oregon to lower the voting age, and I got involved with the National Constitutional Amendment. Um, and I was hooked. 
It was uh, something that uh, seemed to make sense to me. I enga loved engaging people, particularly bringing different people into the political process. Um, that led directly to my being a legislator uh, in 1972 when I was elected. And that uh, was the most consequential period in Oregon's legislative history. Uh, we passed uh, our landmark land use uh, legislation, the first comprehensive statewide legislation for land use. Um, I had legislation that first session, 20 years before Ice-T, that mandated a multimodal comprehensive statewide transportation plan. And I, it was off the races. It was, it was a fabulous opportunity. Oregon had a very approachable uh, legislative system. Uh, there were lots of uh, energetic new people in the process, and it was uh, it was it was a great experience. Uh, I subsequently actually decided to be involved full time as a local elected official, and as you know well, I mean that's where the rubber meets the Absolutely, road. I love local uh, politics. Yeah, uh, ten years as Portland's commissioner of public works. Okay, which I think is arguably the best local government job in America. I had <laughs> responsibility for land use, transportation, bikes, environmental services. Yeah, it's uh, It was an, uh, a system that most people would tell you wouldn't work, where elected officials actually had day-to-day -day responsibility for administration. But for me, it was a lot of fun, and we got a lot of things done. Yeah. In particular, we started Portman's award-winning bike program, started the, uh, the first urban modern streetcar um, it was it was let's talk about that streetcar because that is something that yeah. uh, people want that's a part that's a kind of rail transit that people love uh, so tell us about what, what was going on there and what's happening now when it comes to streetcars in America even here I mean they've got one here that's right well one of the sad chapters in the last century of transportation in the United States was considered effort by automotive industry uh, interests to kill the streetcars. Mm. Uh, they fought against having uh, increases in revenue. They bought them up and destroyed them. Pictures of burning streetcars. Who killed Roger Rabbit? Uh, wasn't just a cartoon. It was a real story about a conspiracy in Southern California to take the red line, the amazing interurban uh, electric system they had, and to kill it mm. uh, in order to promote automobile transportation. We decided in Portland that we were going to resurrect the streetcar. And we had some fascinating local business people who had the vision and developers. I had support from my fellow elected officials. And we reinstituted uh, the streetcar. We extended now uh, four times. We were able to secure some federal money. Uh, and we have a streetcar network in Portland that is uh, really ties together uh, areas of opportunity. People like it. It's low cost. It is proven technology. And it's a, a human scale. Yes. It doesn't, you know, it, I mean, I am a big proponent of light rail and right. spend a lot of time on our system in Portland, but the streetcar fills a niche. Yeah. Let's talk about that for people who aren't familiar with it. What's the difference between light rail and streetcar? And what is that niche? How, yeah. what, what is it meant to serve? It's a, it's a great and important question that needs more attention. The light rail is designed on larger cars, more distant between the stops yeah. and, and more people at the particular element. The light or the streetcar is smaller. It is nimble. It's cheaper. 
uh, it stops more frequently. You can outrun a streetcar. Right. But in a place like Portland where it rains all the time. Yeah, you know, people can jump on and jump off, right? Jump on and jump off. And it's it's a different uh, perspective that makes people comfortable. If you're, well, you know, you've been, you're in a foreign country and you're at a bus station. Yes. And, you know, you try and make sense out of those maps. And, right. Uh, you don't quite know if you're on the right one. In Istanbul, there's no question. Your streetcar is going this way or that way. <laughs> right. And if you get on the wrong direction, you hop off and go the other way. It's something that people are comfortable yes. with. Yes. I was thinking of Yara trams in Melbourne, which I've been on. Same kind of thing. It's free in the main part of town. You just jump on. You can see where it's going. Yep. <laughs> and yep. it's packed with people. They love it. And it is relatively inexpensive. And the streetcar, yes. as I say, is proven technology. Yeah. And you, so you know, started the first one in America. No, we, we started the first modern. Yeah, modern one. Right. Yeah. Because I know they go way back to. Yeah. They, yeah we, San we still have the Charles Street line uh, in uh, New Orleans. Right. That was still functioning. Yes. Um, but uh, we had the first modern streetcar. That's amazing. Now there's 22. 22. That's, that's great, man. Yeah. Thank you for that. No, that's it's wonderful. Ex it's exciting to watch uh, because this is. This is something, another difference here, as opposed to heavy rail or even light rail. Uh, the streetcar system is something that you can build relatively quickly. At one point in downtown Portland, we were building streetcar a block every three weeks. <laughs> wow. And, and people can see this. Yeah. It doesn't take decades. Uh, it takes a, a couple of years, and you can see the handiwork. That's something. So you did that for 10 years. Then you went into the, what happened then after you were uh, in the city? Uh, well, I, I ran for Congress. Okay. Uh, and what year was that? This was in a special election okay. in 1996. All right. It was a time of a little turmoil, not unlike we have now. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, but it was an opportunity to be able to re-engage. I felt and continue to feel passionately that the federal government needs to be a better partner in promoting the livability of our communities. Uh, we actually had a, a movement we called the Livable Communities. We had a caucus in Congress. We worked with uh, administration. A livable community is one where people are safe, healthy, and economically secure. And that's something the federal government can have a profound impact on in so many different ways. Uh, and it's been, uh, it's been a very rewarding part of my career. Uh, watching this take place, not just in terms of streetcar, but what we do with transit, our efforts in terms of water, in uh, dealing with disaster. I mean, these are a series of things that the federal government has profound impact. People at some point say, well, you know, this really isn't your space. The federal government shouldn't be involved uh, with the decisions of a, of a city council. They don't really impact day-to-day uh, -day activities in land use and zoning. To which my answer is, you know, the federal government has been involved with land use since we started taking land away from Native Americans and giving it to white settlers. What we did in terms of the railroads, and these are had profound effects on the shape and, and nature of our communities. And we need to be more intentional about that. And we are, I think, making some progress, but we've got a long way to go. Something. So then let's continue the story. You well, joined Congress, you, you were in this group, livable communities. What we tried to do is have people focus on these opportunities. I and mean, the federal government is the largest landlord, owner, 
and employer in the United States. Yeah. And many of our problems would be, if not solved completely, would be dramatically improved if the federal government played that role right. Uh, so we were, have been working using federal agencies, the Department of Defense, largest consumer of energy in the world. And there's an opportunity uh, in terms of its facilities around the country to be a better partner. I served for 10 years on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, which was uh, delightful. I really loved that assignment. I was uh, persuaded in part by my friends, Jim Obistar and Peter DeFazio, that maybe I could leave the committee. They'd let me come back if I wanted. But uh, in the meantime, maybe I could go to the Ways and Means Committee and raise some money for them to spend <laughs> oh. on these projects. Uh, and that has been a major focus of my work uh, in Congress since then, is to deal with resources for transportation and infrastructure. That's good. And so you were a big player in the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, right? Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, we're still living off that money. <laughs> well, and we will for some time. Yeah. It, well, both the, the IRA, the Infl Infl Inflation Reduction Act, and the subsequent infrastructure bill we had, uh, is putting tens of billions of dollars where it's needed most. And we're, we're talking an infusion of funds unparalleled in our history. That's right. Yeah. And it's the largest program for renewable energy and climate reduction, not just in our history, but anywhere in the world. That's amazing. So we've got these, these pieces here. And for the first time in my career, I've worked with five presidents varying degrees of uh, enthusiasm for uh, the built environment. But Joe Biden uh, is the first one who is totally committed to rebuilding and renewing America and spending the money necessary to do that. And it's it's been transformational. Secretary Buttigieg is a gifted communicator. Uh, the Deputy Secretary, Polly Trottenberg, yeah, uh, from New York, well, and back to uh, Congress, right? Is uh, is a, is gifted in her own right, and we're hard at work to be able to realize the promise of all these legislative initiatives, focusing on things that are low carbon and equitable, is truly transformational. As you know, because you've traveled the country, you've dealt with the consequences. So much of what the United <coughs> States has done over the decades with federal infrastructure policy was actually destructive. Dropping interstate freeway segments in established neighborhoods without regard to the context is bordering on criminal. And we're seeing the consequences of that across the country. And we're watching in this administration using these unprecedented resources as a way to try and heal and put communities back together. So um, let's talk about the tax credit that you were able to get into the Inflation Reduction Act for the electric vehicle charging station credit for two and three wheeled electric vehicles, scooters, bikes, all. Tell us about that. That's pretty exciting. Well, it, it is an opportunity for us to try and promote e-bikes. You know, the, I the love e-bikes, e man. Oh, yeah. The e-bike, as you know, makes any cyclist into a bike commuter, right? I mean, it is the difference between night and day. Yeah. It is uh, something that... Uh, People can choose to the degree of assist they get, but they're able to be able to really extend their reach. Makes a big difference in terms of weather 
and broaden the range of people who participate. This is something that I have been obsessed with mm. uh, because the cycling should not be the province of uh, hard-bodied yeah. uh, young guys. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, what do they call the those? Triathletes. Yeah. The rest of yeah. us. Cut us some slack. Uh, being able to use the most efficient form of urban transportation ever designed. Yeah. Ever designed. And the e-bike does that dramatically. Yeah. And so I like the scooters too, to be honest with you. I love the scooters. They all yeah. have a role to play. Although I will say that they gotta I, be managed though. I am <laughs> that's that is very <laughs> yeah. important. Uh and and frankly, some of uh, the stewards uh fall down in their responsibility. Yes. Yeah, I, leaving scooters all right. Place. Yeah. I remember seeing one up in a tree. I won't say which city it was, but my buddy Gary was CEO of the transit system there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I first went there, I was like, oh, man. So, But a lot of cities have gotten a handle on it now. And well, the technology where they, they, they bring them back at work night. work to do in terms of safety. Yeah. Um, because there are some folks. And, and this is a broader concern I think we have these days in terms of having the behavior of the motorists or the people using the technology to be responsible about it. Yes. Uh, not moving into space that at, at speeds that are inappropriate. Uh, but we've got a larger concern. Frankly, we're watching a breakdown in terms of behavior of motorists. Yeah, problems. civility, yeah. Well, and it's it's life and death. Yeah, We have right. a huge spike in terms of uh, people being killed and maimed on the roadways. But what we did with the e-bike and some of this uh, mm -hmm. infrastructure is a part to try and put the pieces in place. That's great. So that there's greater application. We've also in the legislation done a, in terms of the infrastructure for electric vehicles. Yes. You know, it's all a part of charging stations, those things. Yeah. To make a transition to electrification of the transportation systems. And it's exciting. Uh, electric buses, electric cars, e-bikes. It's part of an opportunity for us to save energy and to be able to enhance the technology and extend it to more people. Yeah. What do you think of hydrogen-powered vehicles? It's part of the future. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm high on I'm high on hydrogen. <laughs> I think uh, I think it's an up-and-coming technology. It's about ten years behind battery electric. But I think we need uh, all the solutions, especially here in America, where now we're down to two and a half to three working bus electric bus manufacturers since one of them is pulled yeah. out and yeah. and uh, the issues with the other one. And uh, so, yeah, I think we need to look at all those options. Let's talk about the uh, Safe Streets and Roads for All program. Well, I had uh, the first legislation, the Vision Zero, you know, this notion that we don't have to accept carnage on the roadways. You know, back in the day, as you know, we used to have mixed use uh, in our roadways, uh, and it naturally uh, provided a disincentive for speeding. People were accommodating. But, you know, part of what I talked about in terms of the conspiracy, they got rid of streetcars. Uh, you know, auto interests created a new crime, jaywalking. For centuries, people shared the space. Right. And if they, if they were hit with a chariot or a wagon or a horse, you accommodated that. But the auto interests uh, developed the notion uh, that basically the automobile ought to have right-of-way and pedestrians were sort of an afterthought. Well, they criminalized natural transportation behavior as pedestrians. 
And it's not been uh, a, a smooth ride ever since. We've introduced legislation that says we don't have to accept that. There are things that we can do to literally reduce the carnage to zero. Efforts in terms of road design, uh, in terms of enforcement, engineering, are opportunities for us to make sure that we change that paradigm. And as you know so well, the victims tend to be elderly, poor, right, the young, and that's not fair. No. So uh, we've had some significant success putting together resources to implement traffic safety. There's an extra billion dollars in there to try and move it forward. But we're also moving in terms of other efforts with resources that are being allocated under these programs to be able to extend the opportunities to make them safer. The notions uh, in this and to have road and transportation investments to actually heal communities, provide resources to put them back together whether they were, when they were divided. Using these unprecedented resources uh, to connect them. You know, part of the problem that we've got some of our pedestrian and uh, cycle infrastructure, that we've got a pathway here that's a segment and they don't fit together neatly. And so part of what we want to do is to make this seamless to promote safety. That's great. So I want to move into, in our last few minutes, some fun questions. But first, I want to say thank you for all you've done uh, for this industry uh, and for the people of this country in helping us pr improve public transit. Uh, I mean, thank you so much for the work you've done. Well, nothing has given me greater satisfaction than watching the changes take place, the rebirth of transit systems, alternative transportation, walking, biking, pedestrian. Uh, this has been a quiet revolution that I think is starting to crest. So um, now into the fun questions. So walking and running, you mentioned. So Phil Knight uh, and Nike coming. I've read that book, Shoe Dog, uh, in which is a great uh, business autobiography. Are, do you know Phil? Have you met him and all that? I'm sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. What a great, uh, a great thing for your city to be known for. Your city itself has uh, a great reputation for an amazing transit system. Uh, Sam Dessou, who I mentioned to you earlier before we went on the air, uh, is the GM CEO there. And uh, he and I are old friends from when he was in Kansas City before that. Um, but he asked me to ask you a couple questions. So if you don't mind, I'll ask you them. Uh, and the first is, uh, what do you feel like your biggest accomplishment has been over the last over 25 years in Congress as it relates to transit? Do you have like one that you're um, most proud of or that you think is your biggest accomplishment? Well, I am I'm pleased that we've been able to develop a constituency for transit. This conference that we're having a conversation at is part of the effort to try and broaden the range of people who are involved with transit advocacy. I'm proud of uh, being sort of the initiator of the modern streetcar movement. Yes. Uh, support for light rail, trying to integrate it into a political mainstream. I'm proud to have played a little role in doing that. It's a lot has happened in the last 27 years, and I'd like to think that we help move that along. That's great. And what will you miss most in Congress? Well, the people, the many of the people I serve with are really uh, outstanding human beings. There are some that I'm not going to miss, and I'm <laughs> not going to miss the dysfunction. I love what we do working to try and help people with the federal government being a partner, as I mentioned, 
to make families safe, healthy, and economically secure. Being able to take some of these elements and move them to fruition, where we're using those federal opportunities to make things better, to solve problems rather than create new ones. That's great. And last question is, what's next for you on your journey, especially as it relates to Portland? That's what Sam wanted me to ask. Well, uh, <laughs> one of the things that I'm really looking forward to uh, in 14 months is not being on a plane for 14 hours every week. Mm. And, and You not, do it every week? I, I wow. go home every week. Uh, wow. uh, well, that's home and that's, yeah. we've got things to do there. Right. I won't miss the airplanes. I won't miss the contentious way that it has developed, particularly with this Republican majority that can't even figure out why they're trying to impeach Joe Biden. Uh, the dysfunction. Politics has gotten very divisive, hasn't it? It is ugly. And to watch the level of dysfunction and discord. All right. I've so had, what are you going to do, though? Do you have plans? Do you know what you're going to do? Can you say or you don't want to say yet? Well, mostly what I'm interested in doing is continuing the work that I do without being encumbered there you by day-to-day -day politics. Yeah. Without having to run a campaign. I mean, I could run for re-election. I would win, but I'd I'd burn a lot of time and energy. And then you're caught up in the political ritual. Right. Yeah. I, I, I've done that for 50 <laughs> years. I don't need any of those caucus meetings and the yeah. fundraising efforts and the pointless you know, meetings right. that add no value to my life or anybody else's. So you're going to basically just keep the fight going? I want to continue the work, yeah. not be bogged down by the politics. Yeah. And I'm quite confident that the things that we've worked on uh, in infrastructure, uh, one of my crusades is to have the United States stop subsidizing a diet that makes Americans sick. Thank you. Reforming agriculture. We've done works in, in terms of uh, healthcare reform. And there are any number of things that they're, they're not really low hanging fruit. It's just a matter of picking it up off the ground. And I'm looking forward to being able to concentrate time and energy on things that interest me um, and being able to do it more directly. That's great. Well, we wish you great success as you do that. And thank you for your years of service to this country and for what you've meant to the public transportation industry. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. Happy New Year. This is Tris Hussey, editor of the Transit Unplugged podcast. And thank you for listening to our first podcast of 2024 with our special guest, Congressman Earl Blumenauer. Now coming up next week on the show, we have Ken Divers and Flora Castillo talking about the SEPTA SCOPE program, which is helping vulnerable populations get the help they need and make transit safer for everyone. Hey, did you know we have a brand new newsletter for Transit Unplugged? Go to transitunplugged.com to sign up and you'll always know what's going on with the podcast and the TV show and be able to catch up on past episodes. If you have a question, comment, or want to be a guest on the show, you can email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. Transit Unplugged is brought to you by Medaxo. At Medaxo, we're passionate about moving the world's people. And at Transit Unplugged, we're passionate about telling those stories. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.